So 8.08 nearly, and as promised, we'll now speculate on the Tokyo Olympics with just under five months ago till it's supposed to be opening up. Professor Jules Boykoff from the Department of Politics at Pacific University in Oregon, a former professional soccer player, joins us on the line. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. The fact that a senior IOC member has said cancellation of the Olympic Games would be likely if this COVID-19 outbreak proves too dangerous for the event, although it was later refuted by President Thomas Bach, who said it will go ahead as planned. How significant is it that we're starting to get these noises at this point? I think it's definitely significant that Richard Pound, a longtime member of the International Olympic Committee from Canada, has spoken out as he has and basically set a time limit saying if we don't have coronavirus under control by the end of May, we're probably going to have to cancel the games, not postpone the games, but actually cancel the games because of other complications. He's not just some run-of-the-mill member of the International Olympic Committee. He is the longest-serving member, having been with the International Olympic Committee for more than 40 years. So I think we should take what he says very seriously. In terms of Mr. Bach's response afterwards, It makes a lot of sense. He is in a position where his job is to make sure that we don't have a freakout right now ahead of the Tokyo Olympics, especially when things are still up in the air. So it didn't surprise me at all that he came along and said, of course, Mr. Pound does not speak for the International Olympic Committee. Um, I think that everybody at the International Olympic Committee is worried about this, and they're getting together in a couple, actually starting tomorrow over there in Lausanne to discuss it. The Olympics has been fairly resistant to political issues, to any previous outbreaks that we've reported on. There's just never been anything quite like this before, um, not in many of our lifetimes anyway. And and so does the IOC have regulations that, that we could look at that would apply here? Right. In a lot of ways, we're in absolutely uncharted territory As some of your listeners will know, um, the Olympics have been canceled in the past because of wartime. For example, 1916 in Berlin, 1940 in Tokyo, and then uh, as well as 1944 in London. But that was all, as I say, because of war that was happening at the time. I looked over very carefully the host city contract that Tokyo signed with the International Olympic Committee, and there were not contingency plans in terms of moving them to another city. So there's nothing in on paper, at least, in regards to the host city contract that says this. And quite frankly, you'd probably look to the last two cities that hosted the Olympics, those being 2016 Rio, Rio de Janeiro down in Brazil, and then also uh, 2012 in London. And neither city is really ready to do this. This is a huge operation, 11,000 athletes from around the world, not to mention all the members of the media that will show up. It's not just as easy to push a button and and say, okay, everybody, come on in. Take for the case of Rio, where many of the venues are now in a dilapidated state, not at all ready to host athletes in a few short months. They're actually, some of the uh, venues have been condemned, and no one's even allowed to enter them because they're dangerous now. If you go back to London, the Athletes' Village, where the 11,000 or so athletes stayed during the London Olympics, that is now inhabited by denizens of London. And so what are you going to do, kick all those people out to have the athletes stay there? So there's huge complications no matter where you look. Postponement's also difficult, if for no other reason than because the networks, the broadcasters that have paid big bucks for the Olympics, are not keen to encroach on already money-making opportunities that they have. So for NBC here in the United States, 
That means the football season, college football, professional football, I mean American football, not soccer. And they're not going to step on that cash cow, and it's very difficult. So, you know, the Olympics are in a very tricky position right now. But do you not think that if the Olympics was to be postponed or cancelled completely or whatever kind of disruption, as you've said, postponement seems very difficult or moving it, do you not think that if it was at that level, pretty much every kind of sporting event around the world would also be disrupted? Because that's already happening in countries like South Korea and Italy, where we're seeing outbreaks. If the United States is going to see a wider outbreak surely any mass gathering of people is going to be problematic. There was even discussion of the Super Bowl, uh, although not that seriously at the time, but there was even global discussion about whether the Super Bowl was appropriate with a mass group of people when the outbreak was just starting. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right, and we're actually seeing that right now. If you look in Japan, all J-League matches, that's the top soccer league there in in Japan, they've been cancelled through mid-March or at least postponed until after that date. Um, there's been numerous events where they've just kept fans away and the players have played, whether it's in Italy or elsewhere. So, right, we're seeing something really interesting and different right now. A Stanford University professor named Yvonne Maldonado said recently that, you know, the Olympics are basically a perfect disease vector. It's a perfect way to transmit, is what she said. Uh, if you really want to disseminate a disease, you know, holding a big event, like you're saying, with lots of people and bringing them into close contact, slapping high fives and so on, would be sort of the perfect way to spread it. And so we shall see what happens. Would the Olympics be the same if it's just a made-for-TV event? A lot of people in numerous host cities I've spoken with who have been somewhat disgruntled with the Olympics because they didn't bring what Olympic organizers promised they would probably wouldn't mind so much if it was just a made-for-TV event. But will the broadcasters be satisfied with that? Is it the same if an athlete sets a world record and no one's really there to cheer? I think probably your listeners have a good feeling that it wouldn't be the same. wouldn't be the same at all. Yeah. Uh, well, even before the uh, Olympics is set to get underway, we've got Euro 2020 scheduled. Um, again, in your f- former sport of the soccer variety of football, that looks like it would be potentially in trouble. Uh, if, mm-hmm. again, we're at this point, what, what timeline would you say? So before when you mentioned Richard Pound, we, that quote of, say, by the end of May, if, if we're at that point still talking about this level or more serious of COVID-19 outbreak, that would be the point at which you'd have to make a decision. You can't exactly wait until the day before the Olympics is due to start. That's exactly right. No, I think actually Richard Pound's suggestion that the end of May is a pretty good time frame, I think that makes sense in a lot of ways because it would still give you uh, and people that were planning on going to the Olympics of almost two full months to make different arrangements and try to get refunds as they can. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate and fair assessment by Richard Pound. But again, things could move much more quickly. And if the disease continues to spread, say all around Tokyo and other places, we might see action even faster than that if it becomes obvious that this uh, cannot be controlled in time for hosting a major event like the Olympics. Yeah. And, and while, of course, the primary concern would be for protecting vulnerable members of society, uh, the uh the, the, the sympathy must be there as well for these athletes, the, the elite athletes who have to train pretty much every day and in many cases for hours every day with the singular goal of excellence and knowing that you may or may not be competing because of this wild card factor. That's got to play on your mind as an athlete. 
Oh, absolutely. I think that's a really important point that seems to be kind of getting lost in the shuffle here, the discussion of what this does for and to athletes. Think about it this way. For many Olympic athletes from relatively lesser-known sports, this is their one chance to be in the global media spotlight, which means this is their one chance to perform well and get subsequent endorsement deals. And if they can't do that at the Olympics, they can't do it at all. And so what you're really talking about is undercutting the monetary success of particular athletes in a wide range of sports. And, you know, if you look at what some of the athletes who were victim, if you will, to the boycotts in 1980 of the Moscow Olympics in 84 in Los Angeles, when the Soviet Union boycotted Los Angeles, the United States infamously boycotted the, the Moscow Games, you talk to those athletes, and they are straight up bitter about what they missed out on, not just the material part that I'm talking about and the lost wages and opportunities, but just the fact that they weren't able to participate in the Games, which would have been sort of the pinnacle of their athletic career. And so you're going to get a sort of different version of that if, in fact, the Olympics are canceled because of the coronavirus. But you're going to have a lot of very upset athletes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just very briefly, because we are out of time, but the, uh, the the thing with the Olympics, of course, even if you were to say, right, we'll just hold the Olympics, but we won't have fans there, you've still got thousands of uh, personnel involved, don't you, just to, just to hold the games without the fans? True. I mean, you still have the volunteers. People forget oftentimes that, you know, upwards, almost nearly 100,000 volunteers are required to pull off the Olympic Games. And you're going to still need them to pull people together. Maybe not quite as many because you won't need as many for crowd control, but you never know who's going to show up at the gates, even if they're told they can't get in. And so, yes, uh, there will be many more people. This will continue to ripple out as we start to figure out what's going to happen here. Yeah, and the, and the accommodation for the athletes themselves. It, it really is a huge logistical nightmare if you're trying to contain COVID-19 and hold an Olympics at the same time. Again, like with many of our other recent interviews, we wait and see. Professor Jules Boykoff speaking to us from Pacific University in Oregon. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you.